Hey, everybody. We are going to do a full hour of question and answer on licensing your products, selling your ideas for royalties. My name is Andrew Krause, and I co-founded this business with Stephen Key. Oh, about, sorry, that monitor's jumping up and down. Um, about uh, 22 years ago, and we've been coaching and mentoring inventors ever since. So if you've been doing this over 20 year, 22 years and you're not good at it, you better get out. And I think we're pretty damn good at it, but hey, I'm biased, right? Um, if you guys can go ahead and type your questions into the chat, that would be fantastic. Um, just good time for a disclaimer. Anything I share with you today should not be considered legal advice. Please consult your attorney if you're looking for legal advice. So that's my little disclaimer. Also, the other thing I'll say is the main focus of our channel is inventors licensing their products. So when you license a product to a big company, you don't need to raise money. It's their money. You don't need to hire employees. It's all their employees. And you don't need to try to get distribution because they already have all the distribution because you're reaching out to companies that have great distribution money and workforce. And then you're just going to dump the project on them. I, I don't like to use the word dump. I joke, say that jokingly. And then it's all their job, you know, because you're creative. They a lot of companies have some create, creative people in it, of course, but you're coming at it from a different angle. You're seeing things they didn't see. And so never devalue what you're bringing to the table, but also value tremendously what they're bringing to the table, which is the money, the workforce and the distribution. And then you just move off to your next product. Right. So that's a beautiful thing. Um, if you guys go ahead and type into everybody hears me. So somebody type yes. And let's just do that test. That's always good. It's always uh, kind of silly when you talk for five minutes and people are like, I can't hear you. But that happens pretty rarely. So somebody could type in yes. There we go. Thank you, Dolly and Alexandria. Uh, Alexandria is uh, a regular. Matt Miller. Okay, cool. All right. So let's jump into some Q&A. You guys know I really like to attack it um, for a full hour. We get 56 minutes left here. So let's hit it. Um, uh, if you want to type your first name, great. Otherwise, whatever silly handle you have, I'll go ahead and read that or part of it. Sometimes it's too too long to read. But Lowboy says, uh, hey, Andrew, I've been communicating back and forth with um, a very large company about one of our products. They are not interested in licensing it. However, they're interested in a quote for $1,000. Um, I'm going to read the rest of it. Uh, $1,000, $2,000, and $5,000 units. We don't have the ability to venture but they are willing to give us contact information for manufacturers that sell them apparel. Doesn't sound like you're reaching out to a potential licensee. Sounds like you're talking to a distributor or a retailer to me. They don't sound like a potential licensee because they're not manufacturing stuff themselves. Would it be a good idea to reach out to these companies for licensing since they're already um, in demand since there is already a demand for the product with the company they already do business with. Absolutely. We call that an event, right? Pull through marketing. So really it's not the first, I'm assuming this is not a potential licensee. So you reached out to somebody, they're a retailer, a distributor. They're not a manufacturer that has their own brand. And they're saying, Hey, we kind of like this. Can we give us a quote for a thousand, 2000, 5,000 units? And so, this isn't the main approach that we teach people to use initially, but you should absolutely leverage that. So when you reach out to the companies they give you, the companies they do business with, or and you make your list of potential licensees, which my guess, low boy, is you're not making a list right. 
you're making your li- a list and you got, or you just got a distributor or a retailer on there by accident, you're confused or whatever, but you reach out to the companies that sell at the retailer. So absolutely, you can now go to those companies that, that sell this distributor or retailer, the product that you, says they want 1,000, 2,000, 5,000 units, a quote for that. And you could say, look, I've got one of your um, vendors actually wants to buy this. You know, here's the product. I want to license it to you. And one of your vendors wants to buy it, you know. And then for the other companies that they're not the vendors of that particular retailer or distributor, you can just mention that um, you've got some interest from retailers. Actually, I have a retailer that wants to purchase this right now. That might kind of push it over the edge. So, um, but I don't think the company, if they are buying from other people products, I don't think they're a potential licensee. They're more of a retailer or distributor. So uh, Kevin said, hi, Andrew, is a sell sheet for a board game really a good option or is a video of the product really preferred uh, by toy companies? I would, most board games, I would do both. Um, I would have a sheet for them to look at, but you really want to show with the board game kind of the fun factor, if you will, because you're, you know, if you have a magnetic doorstop and it keeps the door open, that's the clear benefit of the product, right? But then for a board game, what are you selling? You're selling fun, right? You're selling the vibe, the fun. You know, is it for kids? Is it for adults? And you're showing how they're going to play it. And you want to show them playing the game and having some fun, okay? And so, um, yeah, I would definitely do a video every time for a board game in addition um, to a uh in addition to a video. Um, I would do a video and a sell sheet. Sorry, I got distracted. I have to turn my emails off here. I'm getting all these emails popping up. There we go. Now I won't get those popping up. So I looked distracted there for a sec. That was why. Um, Let's see, you guys have my full attention. Uh, uh, Brandon said, hi, Andrew. In what categories do you see the most licensing deals made? In other words, which categories are the best, easiest to license? I don't think because we see deals in certain categories that that means that's a better category. Inventors have categories they tend to work on more than others. But I mean, we get students licensing stuff from gag, like little whoopee cushion gag gifts to medical devices that save lives um, or helps people's health. We just had our student Dean licensed to a multi-million dollar deal um, on a medical product um, to industrial or commercial products. Like I had this guy licensed this giant boring drill design that the drill is like the size of a Volkswagen bug. You know, it's like a giant size of a car. Um, so I don't think that it's right to say, well, just because we, we do see a ton of students licensing stuff and kitchen and home organization and stuff like that. But does that mean that they are what is it, really good? Let's see what your question was. In what categories do you see the most deals made? Okay, that's one question. In other words, which categories are the easiest to license in? I don't think that's necessarily one of the same. They are, there's some, definitely some overlap there, definitely. Um, so, I mean, I, I do think kitchen, home storage organization is a great category. We have students licensed in all sorts of weird categories. Um, we have this gentleman, he licensed a carpet stretcher. That's this thing you kind of kick your knee against to stretch the carpet. That's a commercial product. For I think his version, I forget if it was consumers or 
more, I think more professional carpet people. I mean, how many people lay their own carpet? I bought one of those once at Harbor Freight because I need to stretch out the carpet in one of my rooms a little bit and tack it down because it wasn't done right. But mostly people aren't laying their own carpet for the most part. You buy the carpet and get it laid. So, um, and that's just like a little obscure little category, right? Or a student of ours licensed a medical product recently. Or a student of ours licensed um, uh, Ingrid. You saw that success story recently maybe where it's this little glove that goes over just your finger and allows you to put a diaper cream on a baby's butt, you know, and it uses less material and it, you know, you don't, you don't get all that stuff caught in your fingernails and stuff. I don't mean to be gross, but that's what we talked about on the interview. It should be coming out on Thursday. That's a cool one because I interviewed Ingrid, the InventRight student, along with the company she licensed to or the person at the company, David Contract at Baby Bretza. And that was a really fun one. So it's all over the map. What I will say is sometimes if you look at an industry and you're like, wow, like nothing new happening here, it's usually for some industrial or commercial products. I don't see any innovation here. This is all the same stuff. It looks like they've been doing the same stuff forever. And there's only three major companies. Now, a lot of you quite often think, well, yeah, I got these three companies and I look at it and I'm like, you got like 30 or 40, you know, 20, 30, 40. Right. And that's really, really common. But if you know what you're doing and and then you make the list and you're like, damn, there's only like I'm giving you an example here of a, a category or that wouldn't I'm generically stating it might not be hard to license in. So let's say there's only three companies. That is it. There are no other companies. That's it. So now you don't have 30 chances for success or even 12 or 18. You only have three. And then you look at the stuff they're doing and it's just archaic and nothing looks new or changed or updated. And so you got these three Goliaths completely dominating and it's in a category you're seeing no innovation whatsoever. Um, and so if you had a product in that kind of category and then you had a product in, let's say, kitchen, home storage organization on our bridging the gap meetings that we do for our students where we bring on companies and the CEO or marketing manager or design team talks about what they're looking for. We've had two weeks in a row, we've had companies with home storage organization products. One was kind of car organization, then one was home. But storage organization is a great category. But is that, am I telling everybody get in a home storage organization? Hell no, no. There's so many categories. I mean, there's kitchen, there's garden, there's automotive, there's there's um, there's garage, there's, there's all sorts of commercial industrial products in, in outdoor and in gardening and in irrigation, in, um, in, in all sorts of things. My God, it's endless, right? And so if you find a passion for it, but you know, if you, if you just want to get started, first off, if you get started and you get some experience and you move to a different category, that's fine. But if you're going to play this long-term game and you want to be a professional product developer, when I say professional, it could be two to six hours a week and you work your you know, 40, 50 hour week job. And you do that just fine on the side and you spend two to six hours a week. But once you do that and you invent more products, you're probably going to, you know, the benefit of, of reaching out to 30 companies, let's say it's a kitchen gadget and you reach out to 30 companies and then they say no. And you say, are you open to more? And they say yes. Or even if they don't say yes, you can still send more because they accepted your first and they got back to you. It's all you really need to know. Um, and then you work on another kitchen product. Well, you could look at your list of 30 you work on for the first kitchen product. So all those no's were you making connections. 
They're not no's. You didn't get rejected. You made a connection. So every time you get a no, you should feel good about it because oh, I made a connection. Great. I got another product in the space of this guy's, uh, this company's um, products. I can just send it on in. So you might look at the 30 products you companies you did for kitchen product number one, let's say. This is just random. And then um, on the next product you work on, you take a look and you evaluate them all. You go, oh, for this next product that I came up with, I think 18 of those are good. Well, great. You got their name, you got their email, and you can just you can just send it on off because they said you, know, you can look at more or you can ask them if you want to send another one. So staying in an industry can be very, very beneficial. And so, Brandon, I like your, your question because be, knowing and thinking about that ahead of time, although I could, you could totally change. You can work on one product in industry and change. But if you don't want to change, the benefit is you made all those contacts. So that's a beautiful thing. So you said, in other words, which categories are the easiest to license in? Oh, okay. So let's talk about that a little bit too, guys. Um, I, you know, I get people's questions and I just expand on them. And, and most everybody says they really appreciate it. So hopefully you guys appreciate it. Um, are the easiest to license in? Uh, you know, like the, the product that Ingrid just licensed, that is a disposable product. Disposable products are quite often harder to license, right? And so now this is a company, Baby Bretza, that doesn't do a lot of disposable products. So they wanted to get into it. They saw the benefit of disposable. But I'll give you an example of a disposable product that's just brutally would be brutally hard to license. So let's say it's a new Band-Aid or a new diaper. They're selling bazillions of Band-Aids and diapers. There's also not a lot of companies in that space, right? And um, there's just so much money involved there. And you're dealing with only like for diapers, like there's only a few companies. You got Johnson Johnson, Procter Gamble. I don't know who else sells diapers, but there's not many of them, right? That's going to be a much harder deal to do. Now, if you close the deal, it's going to be huge. Now, Ingrid, she closed the deal with a company that doesn't typically do consumables, but they wanted to get into it. They were excited about it. But, um, and that's great. And she's going to make a lot of money because every time somebody uses the finger shield to put the baby cream on the, the baby's butt, they're going to throw that away. It's disposable and they're eventually going to buy more. So, you know, so disposable products are harder deals to close, but they can make you a ton of money. And in her case, I think it was perfect, great match. But if you told me I want to work on a new diaper, I, I'm going to go, that's going to be really, really, really difficult because you need to have a lockdown understanding of manufacturing. They're selling bazillions of diapers. If you add a penny to it, it might be too much. You might add a penny and if it offers enough value, they're, they're like, well, we can do that. But they need to change the machinery. It's just really, really hard to do on insanely high volume items that are disposable. So that would be a category I would find very difficult. Dinosaur categories where nobody's making any changes. But I don't think that's always bad. If, if there aren't just three companies there and there's, hey, 15 companies or more, and you're just seeing they're not making any changes, realize that they might be kind of like not big on making changes. And But they might not get a lot of ideas either. So if you worked on that product and you were really persistent in getting a hold of them and you made it really clear with what you're selling with your sell sheet or video, you know, maybe you can change a dinosaur industry. They're not used to getting a lot of ideas and your idea is really not even that good. I'm just making something up here, guys. And they're like, whoa, this is really cool. And you're like, well, it's not that innovative, really. You know, and because they're just not innovative. Now, they may also be up for a slighter change 
because they're not making changes because they're they're risk adverse. Maybe that's the reason why it's a dinosaur industry and you're not seeing any changes there because they're risk adverse. So they might like a slight change to give them a little leg up on the competition. You never know. So I'm not even saying don't work on a dinosaur industry, but generally I think that would be really hard. You're seeing an industry, you're just seeing no innovation whatsoever and very few players. Now, if you're seeing no innovation, but there's a, quite a few players, there might be an opportunity there. Maybe just inventors aren't typically inventing in that area that much. So um, which categories are the easiest to license in? I, if you just want the absolute easiest, I, I like kitchen, home storage organization. There are just so many companies there. There's an endless supply of um, people that want to get organized. And I joked with some of the companies we had come on and say, this is what we're looking for in storage organization. And I, I made a joke. I said, the road to organization is paved with good intentions. People buy a lot of stuff in that space and then don't use it, or they just don't implement it. Like they're already disorganized. So they're not, if you don't put all the stuff neatly in the containers, it won't do it itself. You know, so, but it's a it's an area that people are always, especially during COVID, striving to do better in the organization thing. Um, but God, you know, uh, kitchen, you know, just general categories where you see innovation. Um, and you see a lot of new products. And then sometimes if you see the products are under like 25 bucks, 30 bucks, maybe, you know, the, the 1999 price point these days is probably 24.95 these days. Everything's kind of going up. Um, I don't know why I'm smiling about that. It sucks for all of us, but it's just the way it is with inflation and everything. Um, and just the supply chain issues and all the weirdness that's going on now. I haven't found all this weirdness that's going on now has affected our students' ability to do a deal whatsoever. Actually, finding they're doing more deals, it's just taking them longer for the product to hit the market. You know, so um, let's see what else we got here. Uh, Jeff said, "My latest idea seems like it should have already been on the market." Yeah, we all of us feel that way. It's pretty common. I wonder if no one's thought of it or it was tried and failed. My search so far seems to favor uh, my one simple idea. That's great. I love how you're referencing our book, saying your one simple idea. So really do a thorough search on Google Images, Google Shopping, Amazon, if it's a consumer product. Um, you're not gonna find a lot of industrial or commercial products on Amazon. It's commercial, but not industrial maybe. Uh, but you will find them on Google Images. Uh, Google Images is my favorite place to look. Um, keep searching, see what else is out there, but don't be surprised. I mean, our students come up with stuff all the time. We have them do their research. Nope, it's not out there because we don't want them to work on something. Then, you know, they, they, they do their PPA, they do their sell sheet, they make their list of companies. Companies like, this is already on the market. I did a 30 second search and found it. Like, why are you sending this to me? You don't want to do that. So do a really a thorough search. Um, but it's very common for our students research. So maybe you've been thinking about it for six months, a year, two years, and now you're doing your search because you did your half-assed search before. So I find that that happened to some people. So let's say now you're doing the search and you found the exact same thing. I talk, I've talked to inventors, it's happened, and I'm like, oh, they're like, oh, they're so discouraged. I'm like, this isn't a problem. It kind of sucks, but Let's look at all of their products in that space. If you're doing magnetic doorstops, let's look at all the magnetic doorstops. And then let's look at all the benefits of each one. And you've been thinking about this invention for so long. So now is the time to make a tweak and still make it make sense, you know, and make a benefit or change it significantly. But don't leave the space 
if you've been in the space, if you find the exact same thing, see if you can make some tweaks. Most of the time you can, the vast majority of the time you can. Um, so, so Jeff, don't worry if you didn't find something similar. I, I do worry about non-invent right students thinking that and then sucking at the search and then making that assumption it bites you in the butt later. Now, our coaches will grill our students and they, the students like, well, I didn't like, we need to twist our students, even our students that signed up with us to get coaching their arms sometimes to do a more thorough search because we know it's going to hurt them. So um, please do a very thorough search, lots of keywords. Um, sometimes you find some similar things. Oh, they're using that word. Okay, now I'm going to do another search, another Google search, image search with these keywords. So, but don't be surprised if you didn't find it, Jeff, you're, you're, uh, you're a creative guy. So, you know, as well as a lot of inventors are. So um, good on you, man. You know, that's great. Don't, don't worry about it. Um, John said, after the sell sheet was sent and reviewed and the company says something like, we are not interested in discussing your idea further. Wow. Okay. That's, that's not common. Um, I, I think if you said, if they're, they're either rude, because I think that's a little rude, or they said no, and you didn't take no for an answer, and you just kept pestering them, and they said that. Because that is not something that our students normally get. We are not interested in discussing your idea further. Um, so you said, after they sent a sell sheet and reviewed, and the company says something like, we're not interested in discussing your idea further. It's just bad wording. It's poor. It's a little rude if you ask me. But so what? Sometimes people are like, they're not perceiving that as rude. That's just what they wrote. They just wanted to make that clear. To me, I wouldn't say those are the words that we normally get. So maybe you kept pushing, John. I'd love for you to type in if you kept emailing them after they said no, or that was their first response. I'd be interested to see. And um, just move on. They made it clear. No big deal. It's normal. It's, it's just a little bit of a shock when people get their first no. And you're in the game, man. You got to know. That's fantastic. You're in the game. You reached out. They looked at your sell sheet. They said no. You're in the freaking game. That's amazing. Um, you know, uh, Ingrid that licensed to a very large company, and I just interviewed her last week. That should go up on Thursday. The first email she sent to the gentleman at the company, he said he deleted it. He didn't look at it. He accidentally deleted it. Um, and then she sent it again later. And he got back to her within 40 minutes going, oh, my God, I love this idea. They are busy. They're inundated with emails. Um, and you got to realize that. So you need me to reach out many times. But you got your first no. I don't know if that's your first no, but that's fantastic. That's great. So people are tripping out like, you got to know, Andrew. Why is that great? It's like he's in the game. That's why it's great. Um, uh, Dolly said, my invention was turned down by Hasbro and Mattel. Mattel said there was something similar to it on the market, but I've never seen one. It's sold on Etsy, but it's not the same as what we've made. Well, it doesn't matter. They took a look at your product and they're saying, you know, you, you can't, sometimes they're just trying to give you a reason just that they said no. And sometimes it's accurate and sometimes it's just something they said. And they don't want to get into all the details. They don't have the time. Look, there's something similar and it's not right for us. And okay. And then you want to go back and forth 20 times. That's going to make them not want to work with you more. So, um, you know, I think going back and saying, 
no problem. I completely understand. Here's what I think my clear point of difference with this other product is. But if that's not enough for you to be interested, I completely understand. Um, but if 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 based on restating my point of difference, if you're interested, feel free to reach back out to me. I'll be sending you more ideas in the future. That's just really professional. So that's what I would do, um, Dolly. Uh, state your point of difference, but not in a whiny way. Just kind of state it. And then you're done. You set them yourself to your video. You stated your point of difference one more time. And, you know, here's my clear point of difference. But if you don't think it's a big enough or you're not intrigued by that point of difference with regards to this other product, I completely understand. So thank you so much. I look forward to sending you more ideas. Okay. So um, and then when a company shows interest, you want to get on the phone and talk to them right away. So um, William says, is it possible to have another as seen on TV guest? on in the future. This market channel seems to be changing a lot. I don't see many commercials anymore and the products aren't at Walmart as as much. Um, yeah, I do think it's fascinating what's happening with the as seen on TV companies. Um, Steven and myself as the co-founders here, we're kind of aware of some of them. Some of them are changing their business model a little bit. Um, before, they were always going for the big giant hit, right? And that, that makes insane money, you know, and I they still want that. Of course, they're still doing infomercials. They're online. I they're on um, direct, you know, other platforms like uh, Hulu and and Netflix and other things like that, I'm sure as well. But uh, some of them are really going to direct consumer on the Internet and marketing like their video is like on Facebook you know, as an advertisement or on somewhere else. And there's one company in particular that was interesting in that they said, we either want products now, which is not at all the case in the past, that are a right match for our existing product lines. We're here, here, and here, or something that could be a new product line. Like we, we're look, we'll look at something that could be a new line, but if it's not something we can add other products to, you don't have to have all those products but they, that they would want to come up with in. Then, then we're not interested because retailers are telling us they want to see a product line. If we sell a pet product, they want more than one pet product. If we sell a, a kitchen product, they want more than one kitchen product so they can show an entire line in the as seen on TV category in the at these um, retailers. So I think retailers always really like the as seen on TV because they would spend insane amounts of money to advertise, create all this awareness, and then people will go yeah, I'm not ordering from the 800 number or website, but then they see it in the store and they're like, well, I'll just throw it in my shopping cart here. And if I don't like it, I'll just return it next time I come back to Walmart. We're back in the olden days, way, way back. You know, people, some of these in DRTV companies were really screwing people over. Like they make it really hard. They send you two instead of one and bill you twice and they make it really hard to return. They did all that crap. They're, they don't do that kind of stuff anymore to the best of my knowledge. Um, you know, they they need to the product needs to be good enough quality, too, because if Walmart's getting like huge amounts of returns, they don't want that. So they also got the quality level up to a point that is acceptable so that for a big box store or wherever. So, um, yeah, I'm not surprised if you're seeing a little bit more less as seen on TV. They're all still there. I was at the big box store the other day. They got that whole aisle there still. Um, but I do see changes happening there. Definitely. Um, William, we did bring on uh, two different DRTV companies for our Bridging the Gap sessions we do with our students. So for our students, we already have done that. Um, 
wondering if they successfully made the switch to digital marketing. How does that change for inventors? Yeah, yeah, William, I think a lot of them are making a switch to digital marketing, but I, they're still doing the advertisements. A lot of them, they're still there was only there was only like five major DRTV companies to begin with, and a bunch of those were owned by the Cabani brothers. You know, so um, you know there weren't that many to begin with. So I think it is changing, and I think if we had this kind of conversation, like three or four years from now, it's going to change again. Um, uh, it's kind of a get rich quick area, but I don't think it's as get rich quick now because they're willing to take on smaller products that don't have to go huge, you know, cause they're not spending giant ad spends elsewhere. And if it's not working really quick with digital marketing on like a Facebook or other platforms, they kind of kick it to the curb and make some tweaks. So it's, a, it's becoming a different animal. I agree with you. And I, I think it's something to be discussed. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, Tua said, hey, Andrew, uh, is it wise decision to approach companies abroad? I live in Australia and just wondering if it's worth the effort of approaching companies, say, in the USA. To, uh, uh, after U.S. and Canada, we have more students in Australia than any other country. Australians are very inventive folks. I'm going to go. I'm going to answer your question. And you really got to listen to this. If you're in Australia and you're only reaching out to Australian companies, you'll probably never license anything. Dramatic pause, okay? Um, so anybody that is in um, outside of Europe, Australia, and Canada should be focusing on Europe, Australia, and Canada, not whatever country you're in. That's fine if you want to reach out to some companies in Australia too. But if you limit your, in Australia too, I know you know this, this terminology because I've had talked to many Australians about it, there's still a little bit of what they call the tall poppy syndrome. And that means, you know, a poppy is a flower and the flower grows too high and they just chop it down. So in the U.S., and I've talked about this before, we, there's a lot of not so perfect things about the U.S. I'm a very proud American, but at the same time, I'll acknowledge we have issues. But one thing that's really cool in the U.S. is we believe it's part of our core, whether or not it's true, I think it is, without a doubt. Um, I'm the son of an immigrant. Uh, my dad immigrated here from Germany when he's 24 or something like that. Um, he's a huge success story. We have this feeling like anybody can make it here. It doesn't matter what your education is. You don't have to be born into a wealthy family or a prestigious family or any of that garbage that I hate that I see in other countries. Anybody can make it. So, and even in corporate America, even though people are working in corporate America, that's the American mentality, right? And so when somebody gets it, you know, in other countries and they got this tall poppy syndrome, like, who are you? You're not a big company. You're just an individual. Like, you know, we're not listening to you. And they're still, according to the people I've talked to in Australia, the inventors I've talked to, they say, oh, yeah, it's very much still a factor here. Also, Australia is a very large country, but it's just not a lot of volume there. Right now, if that Australian company is really big in the U.S. and Canada or Europe or something, great. That's the same as an American company to me. If it's a European company, it's really big in the U.S. Same as an American company. Canadian, same as American company. Even Asian company, if they've got headquarters here and they're selling tons of product here in the U.S., same as an American company. You got Americans working there, okay? But the the thing that you're going to shoot yourself in the foot with, Tua, is if you limit yourself to Australia. I'm saying the exact opposite you pretty much shouldn't even bother with Australia. You should just be focusing on the U.S., Canada, and Europe. And so, yeah, you need to do a little more work in that 
they don't care where you're from. They don't care. So, but, you know, I've found that our European, Australian students and others, they do a better job of making their list of companies because they don't assume who the retailers are. Americans go, well, the sporting goods store is near me or this one and this one. And, and, and they're like, and that's the only people you're going to find potential licensees at. It's like, wow, you're limiting yourself. But then we got a European student. They're like, I don't know who the U.S. retailers are. They research it online. They find them. Much bigger list of retailers and the companies that sell at those retailers because you don't license the retailers. You license the manufacturers that sell at retailers. So I find our, our overseas students actually do a better job of it because they don't make assumptions. Don't be afraid of that, Tua. Um, you can reach out on LinkedIn any time of day. Um, you can also just add money to your Skype account. Add 10 bucks to your Skype account. You call a U.S. phone number for a few cents a minute. That's That's it. So there's no difference between you or somebody in California or Florida or Canada or Europe. And don't stick to Australia. You will not be successful if you do that. There's still um, a little bit of fight there. I'm not saying you couldn't license to an Australian company, especially if they're also selling in the U.S. But if they're only selling in Australia, kind of a red flag. They haven't really breached, breached out. They're still a little too Australian. And they're probably not going to license a product from you. But would I add them to the list? Absolutely. I mean, it'd be beautiful to license a product in your home country as well. And if you license it to a company, let's say that's um, really big in the U.S. and Canada, and they're not selling it all in Australia, yeah, keep your Australian rights. If you want to try to license to a company in Australia, but it probably won't add up to that much because the volume's not there and the attitude isn't quite as good about receiving ideas from inventors. Um, so I'm just telling you guys like it is. But would I still reach out to a few Australian companies? Sure. Why not? Sure. Um, Jeremy says, does my prototype need to be in the final design or can it just be a rough idea of how the invention works? This option means there is more problem solving to figure out and the details of how it'll work. So it really depends, Jeremy. I mean, the vast majority of our InventRight students, they are doing a virtual prototype with us and you see the product and you see the marketing and you just get it. So you don't need a finished production ready prototype or quite often a prototype at all. Um, but you don't want to be the wacky inventor that's like, I always give this example, it's a silly example. You say, well, I, I've invented a robot that jumps up on your roof and shingles your house. So people don't need to sweat or risk falling off the roof and it'll be cheaper for the, the contractor that shingles roofs. And, and then the company, I mean, this is a silly example, guys, but an extreme example to make the point. And the company says, well, that looks incredible. How do we do that? And you're like, I don't know, but it's a good idea. Okay, that's wacky inventor territory, guys. Don't do that. You have no experience in robotics, know nothing about how to make a, ro a robot that jumps up on your roof and shingles your house, but yet you're trying to sell that. That's freaking ridiculous. Don't do that. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. But quite often you can see a few products that are out there and then you understand your change. You might not even understand how the product is made but you understand your little change to it. Like the hinge over here works this way. And you can actually cite when they ask you, well, how are we going to do this? Well, there's that and that product. And I just changed this piece. And those are selling for $19.95 and $24.95. So, and they're like, oh, yeah, we can do that. We're going to go get some quotes overseas maybe just to make sure. But okay. And that was good enough. This perception that you need to have it worked out or have a working prototype and all that, that's just utter BS. You don't. But you do need to have a feeling that it could be done. If you're 70% sure they could do it, that's good enough. You don't have to be able to do it, though. That's why creating a virtual prototype can be great. Or maybe you threw something together, Jeremy, like you throw a virtual prototype together for the sell sheet for your marketing piece. But let's say it's a dog toy. And 
you, you buy something down at the, 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 the Petco or PetSmart and you duct tape it and you change something about it and you, you show a video throwing it and your dog's playing it going crazy. And it's got duct tape on it and you can see it in the video, but they can see the dog enjoying it. Now they're seeing the virtual prototype in the cell sheet, but they're seeing you demonstrate it if that's necessary. A lot of products, you don't need to demonstrate it. Um, and they know it. They can see that's a crude prototype, but that's fine. So these are just some random examples, guys. It depends on your particular product, but you don't need to figure out all the little details. No, absolutely not. Um, when I had Ingrid on, we just like did a really big deal with baby Bretza. And um, she it's just like a, a shield that goes over your finger made of a soft uh, paper material to put um, diaper cream on a baby's butt. Okay. Her prototype was sewn by hand. Now, David, the, the licensee, the company that licensed it, they figured out how to heat seal it and it needed to be heat sealed so it didn't scratch the baby's butt, right? And it's funny talking about baby's butts, it's so damn cute. But anyway, so he, she knew nothing about it. She knew nothing about heel sealing, nothing. So when I interviewed her, I said that and David's like, no, no, we, we, we got it from there. You know, so it really depends on the particular situation, but Ingrid knew nothing about heat sealing these two pieces of material together. But David and their manufacturing team figured it out. Her prototype was literally sewn, you know, and they, she knew that they would need to figure that out. But she moved forward and she did a freaking licensing deal. So don't feel like you need to go out and spend thousands or five thousand on a prototype. And quite often these prototypers will make a prototype that that's not even the way you would manufacture it. Like, why did you spend all that money? You know, but it depends. It's a case by case basis. But the vast majority of our students can get away with a virtual prototype and get an idea of any potential issues so you can address them when they bring them up for the ones that show interest. And that's perfectly okay. If you don't have it all worked out, they won't run for the hills because you said, I don't have it all worked out. Now, if you're the crazy inventor that says, I got this robot shingle your house and you're like, you're nuts, dude. Like you have no idea how this is going to work. You don't understand robotics and you told us to make a robot. Like, no, but that's not the case most of the time. So hopefully those silly examples kind of illustrate the point. Um, let's see. Martin said, Hey, Andrew, if a product idea has two inventive steps, can one PPA spawn two utility pads, not just embodiments with independent claims, but two utility pads? Um, yes. I mean, you, if you file a full utility patent and you file a provisional patent within that year, you can, you can reference whatever is in that provisional for your utility patent. You absolutely can't. Um, so let's see if there's any more to that. It all depends on what you put in there, you know, but I think it could, you could branch off into two utility patents. You can reference your PPA claims. I, I don't, people ask these detailed questions like this and I don't find, I like, I've never seen that be an issue ever in 22 years. Students are closing deals all the time. I've never, ever seen that be an issue. Could it? Maybe, but I'm not really concerned about it. Um, so, uh, you know, just just throw it all in that provisional if it's for the same product. And if you need to file more than one utility, you can claim that date for whatever you put into the PPA um, for that date, providing you do it within that year, you know. Um, let's see. Okay. Yeah. Low boy confirmed earlier, this company that wanted to buy his product, they were manufacturing, but not this kind of product. Okay. That's interesting. Um, 
I don't know, like if I don't know Low Boy if they were a distributor or a retailer. You said they're manufacturing, but are they building their own brand? So typically for them to then go buy a thousand units from this company that they could license to and sell it to them, are they acting as a distributor or a retailer? I'm still a little confused by that. But um, but you can do that pull through marketing, definitely, like we talked about earlier. If you guys don't want what I'm talking about, you can go to the top of the video when it's done and watch the replay um, later. Uh, hi, Andrew, what's the best image size for a cell sheet? So a cell sheet should always be eight and a half by eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. So that's a PDF and you're gonna send it into PDF format. You can send it as a JPEG or a PNG. I really recommend PDF format, it's very universal. It'll always look the same. And so I don't know even about image size. If, oh, you're saying like, what's the max image size for the cell sheet? Yeah, I'd really definitely try to keep it under three megs. Sometimes um, people will have software that will make it super bloated because your software didn't say it right. If your cell sheet is more than three megabytes, I think you did something really wrong because that can blow it up to like five megabytes, um, you know, in, in an email and then it might not get through to the person. So really, you really should always try to keep it under three megabytes. If it's not, you need to get somebody with the software to save it as a PDF where it's going to be a smaller file size. That's actually important. So thank you. That was a good question. Um, I think that's what you were asking, image size. So, um, but hey, I gave, I gave additional info. Never, never tell me I don't answer questions enough, huh? Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, uh, Chavez said, what are the computer requirements for Smart IP? That's our software you guys can use to file a provisional patent application. Just a computer. He said Chromebook, Apple. You could do that on a Chromebook because it's all online. It's on our website and it's an online-based application. So um, all you could use your even your Chromebook because it's just a web page that you go in, you fill the info out, and then it sends it back to you. And it's uh, it's all web-based. So you could use any computer. Um, sometimes I get people trying to do this. Really, you guys need to have a computer. Um, the people that try to operate on an iPad or a phone are exactly the ones that shouldn't be. The only, this is my biased viewpoint. So we catch some of our students, they're like, well, I don't have a computer, I just do everything from my phone. I'm like, no, that's gonna, that's not good guys. I don't care if you need to buy an old PC for 150 bucks, do that. I mean, I'm a Mac guy, but buy an old Mac. I have this Mac that uh, wasn't working that great. I wiped it clean, I just put the internet on it. I use it in our kitchen just as a web browser. Because I was like, damn, I can only get 200 bucks for this thing. It works great. So to me, guys, like, I don't think you guys are really serious about this if you don't get a computer of some kind, if you're just trying to do this all. Now, the only exception I'm going to make is if you're super geeky, you could use an iPad Pro with a keyboard attached to it. But things are, you need to, then it's like, I, like, I don't know how to do attachments well on my iPad Pro. I just go to my freaking computer. It's a thousand times easier. So you get like sometimes older people, like they'll get an iPad because it's simple and they like it. And for the few things they do, it's okay. But it's actually harder than a computer when you're doing attachments and you're doing different things like that. I really firmly believe that all inventors should be using a computer for their work and shouldn't just be using a phone or an iPad 
I just have strong feelings about that, except for people that are super geeky, not the seniors that barely know how to work in computers. So they use an iPad and then they can use an iPad. And if you're super geeky, you could use an iPad with a keyboard and it could function as a computer. But you need to be more knowledgeable, not less to do that. So um, that was just a random, random point there in relation to. Um, let's see, who's that? Uh, I lost my thing. Oh, yeah. Chavez is just asking for smart IP. What kind of computer do you need? So um, any computer will work fine there. Uh, okay. Oh, okay. This is interesting. Tiger fan said, hi, Andrew. I would like to put an ad in Licensed Magazine for the upcoming expo in Vegas. What can I do to best be prepared in the event a licensee reaches out? What questions do they normally ask? Um, Tiger fan, I'm going to save you a bunch of money and hassle here. So the licensing expo, I, I'm assuming you're talking about the licensing magazine is tied to licensing expo. None of you should be going to the licensing expo. But Andrew, we're working on licensing our products. 99.9% .9 of you should not be at the licensing expo. If you already live in Vegas, like me, I'm in Henderson next to Vegas, and you just want to check it out, fine. Go by there for the day. But don't fly, get a hotel room, do all that. You guys are not missing out. The licensing expo is a brand licensing expo, okay? These aren't companies there that are looking to license your product. That's not what it is. Every year I correct our students and our fans on this. That's not what the licensing expo is. If you are Disney, if you are the NFL, if you're any one of these people that have these brands, you go there, you get a booth, okay? So you got this trade show. You got all these people with booths with brands. Like my daughter was watching Descendants. That's a Disney brand, right? And they're trapped on this island with heroes and anti-heroes and the bad guys. Anyway, so if they might be there, Disney might be there and they have a booth that's Descendants, right? Or, or Cars or Mickey Mouse or whatever the heck brands they're they're looking to license and they built up this brand right it's a tv show it's a sports team it's any brand that people are familiar with it could be caterpillar caterpillar does a lot of licensing they do the um the dump trucks and stuff and they license rights for people to put caterpillar on a boom box on anything okay so that who is there who has the boots the people that are walking around are companies that are manufacturing products and actively want to get these brands to put the brand on the product. So if they're making T-shirts and they want to put Mickey Mouse on it, they talk to the guy in the, the booth at Disney and go, hey, I want to put Mickey Mouse on this T-shirt. Okay, And then they need to pay the brand a royalty to use Mickey Mouse on the T-shirt or an, a certain NFL team or a certain Disney um, thing or Caterpillar you know, for the company that does the big earth moving equipment because they want to put it on um, tools or whatever. I'm just making stuff up, guys. All right. So, you know, putting an ad in a licensing expo, uh, Tiger fan would be a monumental waste of money for you. Any of you going to the licensing expo would be a monumental waste of money. Every year I talk about this. So now if you want to, if you've got a business and you're manufacturing your product, and you, you, it's not what you guys, that's not what this channel is about. It's about licensing, right? So now realize when you license to a company that has that brand license too, you, they need to pay Disney a royalty to put Mickey Mouse on there and they need to pay you a royalty too. So expect a lower royalty, but you're going to sell more because it's freaking Mickey Mouse on there or whatever, or an NFL team. So, um, but yeah, that wouldn't make sense, Tiger fan. So hopefully that was helpful. Uh 
Yeah, Alexander said, would you say that hydroponic or consumer plant planters is an inventor-friendly industry? Absolutely. That industry is booming. I mean, you got home users that are just doing their own plants and, you know, um, whether they're doing vegetables or whether they're doing herbs or different things. And then you got the marijuana crowd too. That industry has been absolutely going through the roof with, um, with uh, legal and medical marijuana with the hydroponics. So yeah, I think, uh, I think it's a great category. Definitely. Um, and a lot of States now, I believe you can, you can grow a certain amount of marijuana in your backyard completely legally. So um, the hydroponic industry has just been booming because of that. And I think also um, in the consumer area with, I mean, that could be consumer too, if you're growing your own pot, but if, in the consumer area, a lot of people are growing their own veggies and herbs and stuff. As our population ages, people like to, it's very back to nature, very spiritual, whatever you want to call it, to kind of go back and garden and stuff. So I think that is a good category as well. So I think it's good all around, Alexandri. Uh, I think it's great. Um, my two cents says, as new materials come out, is making something out of a new, stronger tougher material really new hmm um it really depends on the product you know um i i don't know i mean is that is that what you're doing and do you need could you also change something about the product in combination with this new stronger tougher material could you change something about the product too so sometimes like it's intriguing like that 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 material change but then you add a little cherry on top and you change this or that too. So I've seen, I've seen inventors like, like they didn't really get traction. Sorry, I'm, I'm a, got some allergies and I feel like I'm about to sneeze. Um, they feel like they got some, sorry. <laughs> okay. They, you, you, you just kind of take a look at they're not getting traction on what they're sending and then they add a little something to it. Not that you want to be a kitchen sink or Swiss Army knife inventor where you're adding everything in the kitchen sink in there, but you can add something to it. And it just, that combination of those two things is enough, but just the material, I don't know if that's enough. I cannot say my two cents if that's enough or not without looking at the product. Maybe that new material change just made all the difference in this product. You made it out of carbon fiber and wow, it's like a, and, and it has, what I'll say is if changing material has this set of benefits, it's the, be those benefits you're selling, not the new material you're selling. You're always selling the benefits. So the question I would pose, which will be beneficial for everyone, is this new stronger material? What are the benefits of that? Sell those benefits. Okay. Like if people are making out something right now and it's just breaking left and right, and this thing would, couldn't even break if you tried to, that's huge. But it's just this new material. That's ah, kind of tougher. It's kind of better than this other one. But the other ones work okay. Like, uh, maybe not. So it really depends. Um, oh, let's see. Molly said, I'd love to look at the sell sheets from the four new product launches you sent out today. Is that possible? Yet four new product launches you sent out. Did we send them out today? Oh, yeah. With the newsletter. We sent a newsletter with four new. Um, you know, I, I think those are all those inventors is confidential information on their, their sell sheets. I think that would be a great learning tool um, where, you know, you'd have an, an event rights student license a product 
and then you show their prior sell sheet. We've done success stories where we brought their sell sheet on and it wasn't like, it was just like, okay, or it was really good. And they're like, yeah, I'm surprised I licensed this poor sell sheet. And the other one's like, you licensed it because of this, you know? So sometimes you can even have a, a okay sell sheet and still license it. But I really think it's very, very important that you put your best foot forward there. Um, but yeah, I don't have time to gather all those right now uh, for our YouTube crowd and then go over those and do case studies on each one of those. That seems like something more like what we do for InventRight students. But it is a good suggestion. And I we have done it with some prior success stories, I believe. Some inventors, they might they might not want to show that for whatever intellectual properties. They showed one thing to the company and then they this came out. Um, I can tell you, like for Dean, for example, he can't show the product yet because it's not on the market yet. Um, that's a multi-million dollar deal. So we definitely can't show his sell sheet. Um, Ingrid, um, you know, we could... We, I, I don't think we showed it on the video. Well, the video is not coming out till Thursday. I could consider putting that in there. Um, yeah, anyway, I think it's a great suggestion. I just don't, I got a lot of stuff going on. I don't know if I'd be able to implement it for a YouTube crowd, but uh, but possibly. Um, um, how to become a student, chill with AJs. Their handle said how to become a student. Uh, go to inventright.com. I'll type it in. Invent. Uh, right.com and then just click on contact us and you'll you can book an appointment with one of our counselors but go ahead and look at the services page and first and look at all your different options and then just there's a bunch of links on there to book with sylvia or dana and book with one of them and they'll talk to you even if you're not ready yet just talk to them so they can explain how everything works and and then you can take your time you know sometimes people sign up within weeks or months or years and that's perfectly fine neither of them are pushy i'm their manager we teach uh, our salespeople to be super friendly. So if you just want to talk and you're not ready to sign up yet, or you might never sign up, just talk to us and we'll tell you how it works. Then you can be fully informed and make that decision. Um, okay. John said he, he said he got a no back from a company. He said they didn't say no. All they That's all they said was, we are not interested in discussing your idea further. Okay. I don't think I said earlier that I thought that was rude. I don't think that's rude. I think they were just trying to be clear. Um, now I'm rethinking that. I don't think that was rude, John. I think that's perfectly okay. Uh, I think that some inventors will go, oh, but, 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 and then they just keep pestering that one. So I think sometimes maybe the marketing managers need to feel like you need to be very clear. We're not interested in discussing it any further. Um, and and I can understand that if they've had some inventors that were unprofessional that didn't let it go, they didn't accept the no. Um, so what I would do in that case, John, is just reply. Um, if you had some unique point of difference, um, you could highlight that point of difference um, and say, you know, my unique point of difference is this, but I fully accept that you are um, not interested in looking at this any further. But if you change your mind, let me know. And I look forward to, to sending you more ideas in the future. Thank you so much for your professionalism. Just say that, you know, um, the, the thought that you're going to get every company to give you all the little details on why they said no. If you guys are thinking you're going to get that, you're in a for a world of hurt. Now, asking for it's okay if you're polite and some will give it and some won't. Um, I think this company probably won't. And that's perfectly fine. 
Um, it's okay to ask. It's okay to also say when they say no, say, um, no problem. I fully accept that this one's not right for you. If you have any, you could ask a specific question or two. If you could, if you could give me your take on the product or your concerns about it, great. If you're too busy, no worries. You know, really respectful. Um, and I look forward to sending you more ideas in the future. So if you're that polite, they'll be like, damn, this guy is cool. Like, but I, I've talked to some people at companies and they're like, inventors get weird on us when we say no. And it's just, and some companies have closed their doors because of that. So don't be that inventor, guys. Um, let's see. Melanie, hey there. Would you recommend presenting an idea to a big company with only a provisional pad? Yeah, that's our whole approach, uh, Melanie. Our, the whole invent right approach is to file a provisional patent application and approach all your potential licensees. You got a whole year to fish off the pier. And if you get interest, get them to give you the money for the patent. And then you'll give that to your attorney and then your attorney will file the full utility and reference your provisional. That's one of the basis of the invent right approach. So it's absolutely okay. It's actually a bad idea to do anything else besides that. To go out and spend 12 grand on a patent, not knowing if there's any interest yet. Like I know some of you have filed patents already and then I talk to people, they're like, oh, I'm sorry, Andrew, I already followed the path. I'm like, don't worry about it, dude. Everybody does it, you know, but um, but just don't keep doing that. Like if you've already filed a patent, spent money with a patent, it's done, is done. But next time, use our software, file a provisional patent for, for 75 bucks. That's the patent office fee. Our software comes with our coaching program. You buy it separately, too, for $99 on our site. And, and file that stupid provisional and then get it out there. And so... I'm more concerned about your sell sheet or your video that that's good. Um, I'm not it just to emphasize what is really important, guys, is your marketing presentation, not your stupid provisional patent. People get obsessed about the provisional. Our students do a great job with it using our software and their coaches guidance on thinking about the variations. But nobody's going to want to look at your provisional if your marketing sucks. So, you know, people get too obsessed with the provisional and they don't focus. And it's totally okay, Melanie, to reach out to companies with a provisional patent application 1,000%. If you're doing it any other way, you're doing it wrong. So there you go. Um, uh, do you have any experience licensing to biotech companies? Uh, Mark says, uh, we have a bunch of companies, students that have licensed medical products. I don't know if they'd be classified as biotech. What I'll say is in biotech and medical, um, you need to really kind of understand how this product's going to be made. Then you need to have lockdown intellectual property patents around it. And then, yes, you can license in biotech or, or, um, or, or uh, uh, medical products, but they will definitely want patents. That's one of those categories. Like you do a kitchen gadget. Sometimes like, sometimes they, they're like, we don't care about patents or yeah, we want the window dressing. Okay. We'll do that. Or, you know, then other companies are like obsessed about patents. Um, the medical and biotech, that's very, very important. With a kitchen gadget, not very important at all. I still file a provisional though. Um, but so in biotech and medical, it's expected. You're going to need to get a patent. You can still file a provisional, but you're going to need to later get a patent when you do a deal. So yes, you can do um, uh, work on a biotech product. Um, if Mark, if you're if you, if you want to book an appointment with me, just email Andrew and InventRight and say you specifically want to book an appointment with me because that might go a little bit beyond Dana and Sylvia because I want to look at your biotech product to tell you if it's licensable. 
So if you and they they can also send you a non-disclosure agreement. So let's take a look at it and we'll see. Uh, yeah, it was a Kathy uh, Ingrid licensed to a, a company that makes baby related um, products. And that should come out on YouTube this coming Thursday. Um, we need to get that over to our IT guys so we can edit it. And we're going to put this video in. It's really, really cool. Very inspirational. Ingrid's amazing. And so is her licensee, David, who we happen to already know. Um, so that's why I got pretty unusual that we can get the company that the inventor licensed to come on because they're really busy as well. But David came on. So that was really cool. Um, Matt said, hey, Andrew, thank you for another Monday. We appreciate it. Is there another way to send a video through email without going through YouTube? Yes, there is other ways. When we say YouTube, when we when you approach potential licensees and we tell our students to put it up on YouTube, we always are very, very clear. You never don't publicly disclose your invention when you're trying to license it. OK, you've been venturing and selling yourself for years. OK, it's already out there, but don't publicly disclose it. So it's a, when it's a YouTube video, you've got three types. You got public, which, you know, like this is public right now. Then you got private. You think you want private, but you don't because you need their YouTube username to share it with them. And no no marketing managers know what their YouTube username is. Then you got unlisted. You want to do unlisted. So unlisted, basically, nobody can search for it on Google or on YouTube and find it. And only people with, that you send the link to can see it. So essentially it's password protected because it's this giant long link with tons of letters and numbers and only people with the link can see it. So that's essentially like a password and then you send it to them. So that is my preference on YouTube. Um, there's other, there's Vimeo. We use Vimeo for our membership site. You, if you don't like YouTube, or you don't like Google, you could put it, you could sign up. I think you'd have to sign up for a Vimeo account and pay some small fee to be able to make a private video and then share that link. I think on on Vimeo, I think it's called private there, but it's it's called unlisted on YouTube. So you could use another video service, but you can't send a video via email, guys. The file size is too big. Another way you could do it is you could put it in Dropbox. For those of you familiar with Dropbox, and it could be in Dropbox, but that's not bad because these days for a while, Dropbox didn't work good with videos. You click on it and then it would go to the Dropbox and then it wouldn't videos wouldn't play well in there. That's not my preference, but if you play with it, and you want to send them a link to your Dropbox, which is completely private, um, then you could do that as well. So you have some other options there, Matt, if you don't like Google or YouTube for whatever reason. Um, but don't think that we're telling you to publicly, never publicly put up your invention on YouTube. It's an unlisted video that only people with the link can see. And yeah, they could send that to a coworker, but you want that, right? Um, but you do not want people to have to enter a username and password. They won't freaking do it. If you go, here's the link to my website and you get all fancy and they have to enter enter this username and password. No, they just want to be able to click on it and watch it. They are too damn busy for that. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, Mr. Reaction is the handle. Do I need to know exactly how an invention is made to patent it? No, you absolutely don't. You know, and you're patenting your improvement to it. You know, there might be a product that's out there, but as if you haven't, uh, Mr. Reaction is your handle. If you didn't watch the beginning of this live stream, wait till it finishes out and then it will go up as a recording. Watch the beginning because I, I addressed that um, quite extensively earlier in the meeting. I already addressed something of that nature. Um, uh, Biker Boy said, 
I'll be finishing one simple idea tomorrow morning. Totally worth it. You should definitely read it. Yeah, I need it. Need a computer. Okay, good. Well, that's great. I, hopefully that talk helped. Um, uh, I, I really firmly believe, guys, you should not try to do this on a phone or on a tablet. Buy a cheap old, God, really old Mac or PC. You know, your needs for licensing are very, if you can surf the web and you can send emails from that computer, you're good. And you could probably find one for under 300 bucks. You probably find an old PC for 100 bucks and you'd be fine. Uh, I prefer Mac, but if something better comes along, I'll kick Apple the curb in a second because I don't like a lot of the stuff they do. I just personally feel like it's better than PC, but it's, the web's the web, email's email, who cares? I don't care. You could use either one and you'd be perfectly fine. Use whatever you're comfortable with. But if you don't have a computer, there's you probably don't have a computer because you're not that comfortable with computers. So get freaking comfortable with it. But what you need to do to get comfortable is not that big of a deal. If you're not big computer users, you need to know how to surf the web, how to bookmark stuff that you find on the web, and send emails and attach things to emails. And that's pretty much it, you know? and um, recover a password, click on forgot password on a account or something. If you know how to do that, you're good. So and if you're just resistive to getting on computers and learning those few things, you should start doing that yesterday, in my opinion, okay? Occasionally we'll get a new student come on board. We, the on, onboarding student survey we send actually is a little bit of a test to see if some people don't have any computer skills and then our head coach kind of talks to them. And sometimes we'll give people like a month, like you need to get a computer, or you need to use a computer at your house, you need to learn just these basic things that I just described, and then let's start, okay? So it's probably not most of you, but if it's a few of you, or hey, maybe you're a computer user, but you just got used to using your phone and a tablet or whatever, you know, get back to using a computer. Find an old computer lying around your house or something, okay? Uh, oh, okay. So Low Boy said they are, uh, they are a brand and a manufacturer of boots. And if you guys didn't hear the first part of the stream, I'm not going to repeat the whole thing, but they are a brand and a manufacturer of boots. And my product is a garment associated with boots. That's great. You know, but I kind of wonder, low boy, like why wouldn't they want to manufacture this? And how many other products do they buy from other manufacturers before you get your wheels turning and telling a potential licensee that this other manufacturer wants to license this from them, you know, or buy it from them. Um, but maybe they're just some companies like they, they will sell a certain amount of products and the other products are just kind of like importing them and slapping their name on it or buying it somewhere else. So that's a possibility. So yeah, I, I, I can see how that makes sense. And, um, uh, Davey said, I have an idea for a self-defense tool, which I believe I can actually prototype with a 3D printer, would it be best to approach a licensee with this type of product idea? Um, I don't know. Self-defense tools are great. I mean, I remember we had this one, we had a student license uh, a variation of brass knuckles. And I remember that. It was, it was a pretty small deal, I think, as to a smaller company. But yeah, self-defense stuff. I don't know if brass knuckles are, I, thought, I was kind of tripping out on that product, to be honest with you. Um, I don't know if brass knuckles are really a self-defense thing, but um, I guess you could say. But uh, yeah, I, I think that's a great category, self-defense. I think that's a lot of people are worried about that. It's a great category, uh, Davey. Um, 
Alexandria said, thanks again for your precious time, Andrew. So if I could ask everybody, um, if you can uh, do this, if you're not subscribed, click subscribe down below and click on the notification button. That'll also get you notified about these live streams. You forget about it or whatever. It's every Monday at four. I might notify you if you're on, on the, the web. And, um, and then watch our videos. That's the way for saying, that's your way. You can say thank you to me for spending a whole hour to answer your guys' questions. Nobody, I don't think, really does what I'm doing here. It's pretty cool. And we're really, we're all about giving a lot of free information away. Of course, you can give information away all day long, but it's all the devil's in the details. The coaching is super beneficial. So I encourage you guys to sign up for, um, to talk to one of our advisors about the coaching um, and, and see if it's something you might be interested. Also take a look at our website and um, look at your options there under the services page. Um, Veronica says, have you ever heard of a company signing and fulfilling on agreements with an inventory mandate? Um, yeah, we, we have minimum guarantees or other guarantees that they need to meet. Otherwise, you can take the product back. It can be minimum guarantees. It could be inventory. It could be you have to start delivering this product by this date. It can be all sorts of things in the licensing contract that you have to hold them to. So I don't know if that's what you... My business partner says she only is looking for licensors that are willing to have stock ready before presenting to retailers. She's a sales and merchandiser. I'm the designer. Um, no, sometimes that's not how it always works. I think you're, you know, she's a little bit off. We have a tween teen brand. She's targeting multiple categories, jewelry, apparel. So it sounds like she has some experience in retail. Um, I, I think it's very normal for your the brand you try to license to, to want to show it to a retailer and go, are you interested? So for you want to give them that authority when you're trying to license you want to say yeah yeah you can reach out to some retailers and show it to them that's what they're going to do expect that to happen um but to say that's really ridiculous veronica that your partner says well i don't want them to show it to a retailer until the company i'm going to license it to has stock now some brands that you license to, like they won't ask the retailers. They look at the product, believe in it, and they get some quotes to manufacture it. And they're like, this is good. We're going to launch this product, right? And they didn't show it to retailers or buyers. And others, if they can't show it to buyers, they aren't going to license it. They want to get an inkling of what the interest level is. So it's possible, but I really wouldn't want you to restrict because there's really no downside in having them show it to companies uh, retailers that might be interested. So um, I, I, you know, I, I just uh, disagree with that. Um, I wouldn't, I won't want you to limit your list that way. Uh, Mr. Reaction, I want to write my own PPA, but I'm worried I'm going to cover all the workarounds. Eventually I'd like to license, to license, but they might just use a workaround. So I'm sorry if you covered this already. So so yeah, we, te we teach our students to create all those workarounds. So what else I can tell you is a, a fact. In the 22 years we've been doing this, I've never had a student get knocked off, file a provisional, and provisionals haven't even been around that long, So and get knocked off by a company they've presented to. So hopefully that gives you some context to think that all these companies are just ready to screw you and work around you. Like I've never had a student that I'm aware of present to a company, company came up with a workaround, and said, screw you. Like, 
this is things that inventors work worry about and just don't happen often. I've talked to inventors outside of InventRight where that's happened, but I can only control what we guide our students to do. And I, it's just never happened because they're acting super professional. So to worry about that is, is not something you should really worry about. And no, I'm not, I'm not a patent attorney. We are not patent attorneys. And I did a disclaimer at the beginning there. Don't consider anything we shared with you today legal advice. Please consult your attorney if you're looking for legal advice. But um, we give you the real deal for how it works in the real world. Attorneys give you a twisted view of how they see things, but they haven't licensed anything before. So you got to be really careful about getting getting um, licensing advice from your patent attorney. Um, and so, or anyway, so uh, no, you don't need a website um, to do a board game. Somebody asked that. Um, no, you don't need a website to do that. Video, YouTube video unlisted that nobody can see except for people you send a link to and a sell sheet just fine. You don't need a website to license products. And if you guys ever do create a website, just be a one page website that says I design and license products. Don't put the products up there. No, no, no. Um, but it's completely and utterly not necessary. But if you, you know, you've been licensing for years and you want, you're using your own domain name, like your first name, last name designs.com and people might go to that site and maybe have a one pager, but you guys definitely don't need that. Our student, we don't advise our students to, to create their own website for their business. You don't, you don't need that. Um, all right, guys, um, take care, keep inventing, and I will be back here next Monday. See you guys. Bye.